We are uh, continuing our journey through First John together, so if you want to open up your, your Bibles, um, we'll be in the end of chapter 2, beginning of chapter 3 this morning. Um, if you want to follow along in one of the Bibles there in, in your chair, you'll find uh, this on page 10, 1022. We'll be starting in chapter 2, verse 28 this morning. This week, John is going to be talking a lot about family, family connections. Um, when I was growing up, uh, my grandfather was doing a lot of work um, trying to trace back our, our ancestry. And he visited a lot of graveyards and libraries and um, county offices with records in it trying to trace back who was married to who and who was born to who and where everybody was raised and when our family came to, uh, to the U.S. from Germany. Um, and when I was little, I really didn't have much interest in that. I remember we'd visit them and we'd go from graveyard to graveyard and I was thinking, man, I just want to see some living people. Like, this is getting old and boring. Like, what's the point of this? Uh, but... The older I get, the more I'm beginning to understand there, there's significant things to be learned and to be understood from, uh, from whom we're, who we're related to, uh, to our, our heritage. I've been, I have a big stack of the, the research my grandfather's done, and I've been beginning to read through it. And I got a free, like, two-week subscription to Ancestry.com and... I was checking back through things, and if my grandfather had had that, man, it would have saved him a lot of a lot of work. A lot of it's already already up there. But you're you're able to to, to see uh, this person was born from this person, and you can see work other people have done, and trace back and to find out when our family came from from Germany uh, and and immigrated to uh, to Texas and and settled in a, a small German uh, community there, uh, and. Uh, to, to see even back several generations in Germany at these towns that I've never, I've never even heard of, nor do I even know how to pronounce, that that's where my, my family came from. Uh, and as you begin to, to see that and trace those things, uh, their lives and their connection and who, who I am flows out of who these people were. Things about their their personalities, their their looks, their you know their DNA as it as it is is passed on. Um, uh, it's not something to be ignored. Who we're related to plays a huge part in making us who we are. Uh, John is wanting to draw our attention to that this morning. Um, specifically, uh, John wants to 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 draw us to our family heritage. John is, is, is wanting to, to show just a, a snippet at, at his Ancestry.com. And he's only focusing on two, two people, two relationships. Your father and your brother. And how important it is and the significance and the implications it has on who those two relationships are for you and for God's people. Um, so we want to look at this passage this morning and we want to 
seek to answer and ask the question, who's your daddy? And who's your brother? Or as Beckett says, big bubba. So, let's look, beginning in verse 28 of chapter 2, follow along as I read to us from God's Word this morning. And now, little children, abide in Him, so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that He appeared to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. No one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him or known Him. Little children... Let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident Who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would give us insight into your word, insight into our own hearts, insight into the love of the Father, uh, that we might cling to and embrace Jesus. In His name we pray. Amen. That first question, who's your daddy? It's an important question. Something that we need to know. And John is saying there's great significance to the answer of that question. Notice where he he goes first as he, he points to The love of our Father. The love of God the Father. Look in verse 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. John is blown away by this truth, this fact that humans can be known as the children of God. Not just called and considered the children of God. Look at, look at what John says. What kind of love God has given us that we, could be call, we should be called children of God. And so we are. 
John's saying, step back and think about this great truth. That if we trace him back, the history of mankind, if we trace back our heritage, uh, John's saying it's not always been true that you were a child of God. At one time, you were in rebellion. You were pursuing after other things. In fact, John tells us uh, later in this passage, and we'll look at this in, the, in, uh, in, a, in a bit, the two options were your, your father could be God, or your father could be the devil. Yet John's saying something about God's love moved him to enter into our world, to enter into our lives, and to pursue us and, and bring us into his family to adopt us and make us his children. God is, John is saying this truth means that God is a loving and good and gracious God, that he would do whatever it takes to enter into this world to, to show his love to us, to give his son for us, that we could become his children. John is saying this isn't just something hypothetical or possible, but John is saying it is true that we can and for some are children of God. And we are those children now, John's saying. He's blown away. Can you believe that the Creator of all things would show us love in such a way that He would look upon us and say, you are my children. If, for you, hearing that, that this is something that the Bible is talking about, this message that John is proclaiming, that there can be those who can be spoken of as being right now the children of God, those that God has extended this special fatherly love upon. If that were true of you, if John is really telling us the truth, and that is true that who you are is a child of the living God, how would that truth affect your view of yourself and how you engage and live in this world? Think about right now, Maybe places where you're struggling with how valuable you are. What kind of worth you have. The different kind of messages that are, that are sent. Some of them explicit, some of them subtle. That, that your, your value and your worth, your identity is, is tied up in how you look. And you must look a certain way. And it's been shown in magazines or on TV that your body must look this way, your face must look this way, your clothes must fit a certain way. And if they don't, then you lack beauty, you lack value, you lack worth, significance. Maybe you even lack uh, the, the opportunity of experiencing love. And John speaks into those lies. John speaks into that and says, no. You can be known as a beloved child of the Father. And if that is true, then it doesn't matter what these other things and what other people are saying about where your worth is found. 
It's ultimately found in the fact that your God speaks louder and more powerfully than all of those things and says, I love you. And that is your identity as my child. Where else are you? Do you need to hear that message? And do you need to hear that offer that you can become a child of God from, uh, from our God this morning? Is it, is it something that's tied up in, in, your, uh, in your work position? That because you don't have the job that you think you have, because you have a certain title, and that title communicates something uh, within our culture and our society about who you are and how valuable you are, for God to speak in and say, no, what is most important about you is that you are my child and I love you. Maybe it's for you, your status and relationship right now. Um, the fact that you're, uh, you're single or the fact that you uh, don't have any children um, or the fact that you are in a marriage, but it's not going the way that you hoped it would. Um, or you have children and that dynamic is fraught with conflict and you're struggling with your identity of your value as a, as a, as a human and as a person, your, whether you deserve the worth and the love of other people, how good a parent or a spouse you are. And God speaks into that and says, no, this is true that you are my child and I love you. What could that do to break into our hearts, to move us to love and to cling to our God? How can we know? Because John says it's true. And you can know that you are the child of the Father now. This is true of you now. How do you know? Uh, over the summer, there's been a, um, a question going on of how you can how one woman could know who her father was. Uh, this lady has been making claims since 2007 that her dad was Salvador Dali. I don't know if you know who that is. He's this uh, surrealist painter from Spain. Um, you may have seen pictures of him. He always had a, this crazy handlebar mustache that they described it in, as, as always pointing to 10 and to 2. Uh, where you're supposed to have your hands on the, on the steering wheel. Uh, he painted crazy, crazy paintings. One of the most famous ones is a picture of these, uh, it's like in a desert, and in the, all over the picture are these clock faces, and they're just kind of melting over, over stuff. Uh, he's, you should look at some of his paintings later. I mean, Dolly was out there. Um, well, this, this lady has been claiming that Salvador Dali is her, is her father. Dali is my dad. Um, uh, she says, I even look like him, minus the mustache. Uh, and uh, that would entitle her to up to a quarter of his estate, which would be fairly significant. Um, how, can she, how can she know? Just because she's claiming that she is Salvador Dali's daughter, does that mean she actually is his daughter? What is the evidence? Is there a way to prove it? How do you know if she is his daughter or not? And if he is her dad? Well, there's a test that can be done. 
a paternity test, a DNA test. And so what they had to do is they had to go and dig up Salvador Dali uh, and get some DNA from his body and run the test. And the test would show and would prove whether he was her father or not. And actually came back negative. Although she was claiming to be the child of Dali, the evidence said otherwise. John here gives us uh, uh, a way, a paternity test, you could say, for us to be able to know whether we are the children of God or the children of the devil. Notice how, how he, he says that in verse 10. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. John's saying, look, there are only two possibilities. There are two dads. You are either the child of the father, God, the creator of all things, or you're the child of the devil. There is no third option there is no path C or D. There are two, two options. And John is saying that uh, righteousness and our practice of righteousness and living out God's uh, revealed will and uh, his, his character in this world is one of the tests the evidences that we can see and to know whether we are his child or not. John is saying there are ethical life implications because of your relationship to God as, as father. Notice how, how much he, he brings this out. Look in verse, verse 29. You may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Evidence of being related to the Father is that you'd practice righteousness as He is righteous. Look at verse 9 as he, he goes on. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in Him. And He cannot keep on sinning because He has been born of God. Why does no... John is saying, look, if you've been born of God, you will not continue to actively make this, pra this a practice and characteristic of your life that you will live uh, pursuing and loving and embracing sin. John defines what, what that is. He says sin is lawlessness. Lawlessness, and as the Scripture talks about it, is this active... Um, heart desire to do what is contrary to God's will, contrary to God's law, contrary to His revealed character. Um, you desire and don't care what God has said. Um, you're going to pursue what you want to do because it's what you want to do. Living a life completely contrary, not even concerned or could care less about what God says about how He would want us to live. Um, John is saying, if you have been born of God, you will not continue to make this, this ongoing active uh, 
practice of sinning. Why does John say that? Look at what he said there in verse 9. You will not make this practice of sinning. Why? Because God's seed abides in him. God's seed abides in you. It's what John's saying. It's he's not saying this, but this might be a way for us to put it in our categories. You now have his DNA. You are going to look like him. You are going to act like him. You haven't just been adopted. There's been a complete transformation of who you are at the core. God's life-giving power dwells inside of you and He has changed you. That is the only way it works. That's the only way you can be saved. And if you are related to God and this life-giving power is in you and transforming you and changing you, then it will show itself out in your, in your life. This evidence will be there. And if it's not, then... You can't rest very confident or assured that despite the claims you may make, that you are one of God's children, John is saying. Well, what's, what's John saying? Is he saying that we're, we're going to be perfect? Well, if we remember back to what John was telling us in chapter 1 of this letter, what did he say? If you claim you're without sin then the truth isn't in you. If you're claiming that you have reached this state of perfection and you aren't committing sins, then you are actually living outside of what God is calling you to live. You're not practicing righteousness if you don't acknowledge your sin. Well, how, does, how does that make sense? For me to admit and keep and say that I'm a sinner, that I'm not living in, uh, in the way that God would have me to do, how is that? Can that be described as righteousness? Remember this, as we think about what righteousness is, it's living life the way God has intended and told us how we are to live and to operate in his world in relationship with him and with each other. And God has said, look, if you sin against me, acknowledge your sin, confess your sin, hate your sin, grieve over your sin and come to me. Call upon me. Ask me to forgive you. To live righteously doesn't mean to live perfectly, but it's to have a heart attitude towards sin. That when we see it in our lives, we grieve over it. We hate it. We, we don't want that to be a part of our lives. We do not have an indifferent attitude towards sin, John's saying. Why? Because God has changed you. And the power of the gospel means that you've been transformed to someone new. And if you are continuing to live in this way, that what God calls sin, you're not calling sin. And you're intent to live your life in a way that says, well, I know God's saying this, but I don't really care. John's saying you better be careful. Because those who have been born of God will pass this paternity test of seeing righteousness grow in their heart and their attitude towards sin changing. And they will be quick to confess and to repent. Notice the contrast of what he says in verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. You see, if we're practicing otherwise, then really we're evidencing other DNA, other paternity, 
Because we're living a life that is reflective of the evil one who has always been sinning. He's been sinning from the beginning. God, what have we seen in 1 John so far? He's the righteous one who has existed from the beginning. John is saying, look, dear ones, do you you want to grow in your confidence and your assurance of your place with the Father? Remember, John's pointed to other things up to this point. We saw last week, right belief in Jesus, of who He is, of clinging to Him alone. Is a place where we, we will grow in our assurance. The practice of, of love, he mentions it here, but we looked at this last week and we'll look at it more in the upcoming week, of loving God's children is evidence of the fact that He has changed us. Here, what John is pointing to is our actions, our righteousness is another place to where we gain this assurance, this confidence that we are in fact God's children. John is saying to us, our assurance grows as our practice of righteousness and our practice of repentance grows in the Christian life. We, if we're hoping and trusting in Jesus, are children of God now. And John says, do you want assurance of that? Do you want to know that your claim to be God's children Just because you're saying you are doesn't make it so. Look at the evidence. Because if your heavenly Father has indeed become your Father, He will change you. He will change you from the inside and it will have evidence outside because His life-giving power is inside you. What else of these relationships John points to? It's not just who's your daddy, but... John's pointing to another relationship that's important as we live out the Christian life, something that we have to to hold on and understand deeply. Who's your brother? Who's your father? Who's your daddy? Who's your brother? Notice what John describes to us about the brother that we have. Notice in verse 29. uh, As it... Uh, 28 and 29 following. Little children, abide in Him so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. The, the coming one that He's talking about is, is the Son of God. Jesus' second coming. John says this about Him. If you know that He is righteous, the coming one, then you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. And John's understanding those who are, uh, when he's using the him, they are born of him. He's in reference to the Father. But of the one that he's referencing of who has come, it's of the Son. And what John is saying is true of the Son is that he is righteous. And if we are God's children, and the Son of God then is who we're related to as well, then he is our brother. Jesus, we can understand and see our relation to him would be as our older brother. And John says, you need to understand this about your older brother, that he is righteous. We know that he's righteous. He is the righteous one. And John is saying your connection to your older brother, abiding in him, John says in verse 28, depending upon him, clinging upon him, calling out to him in faith is going to make the difference between when He returns that you enter into 
the triune God's presence with confidence? Or you shrink away in shame? Who our older brother is makes a difference. What do we see about this older brother? How does he make a difference? That this older brother, it can be said of him, if we're connected to him, we can enter into the presence of the holy, righteous God confidently? No shame at all, John's saying. No shame. Look at what he, look at what he says. These further implications of, of our older brother. Look in verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, speaking of our older brother, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. What we are right now, we're the children of God. But God has not finished his full work in completely transforming us. That's why we still struggle with sin and continue to come to him for forgiveness. But John's saying this isn't the way it's always going to be. There will be a time when our older brother comes back that we will be completely and fully transformed and we will be like him. Righteous, renewed, restored. Everything about us will be focused on loving and in connection with our Heavenly Father. And it's for that reason, because you're going to be like him, that you can enter into God's presence confident. Because you bear fully the righteousness of your older brother. When he appears, we're going to be like him. There's going to be future full transformation to where we will be transformed into the likeness of our older brother. That just blows my mind. But he goes, he goes on. Notice what he says, the implications of that. If, in fact, we are going to be transformed into the likeness of our older brother when he returns, then there sh- that should have present implications. Notice what he says in verse 3. Everyone who, hope, who thus hopes in the fact that Jesus will return and will be made like him and uh, purifies himself as he is pure. John's saying, if he is your older brother and you're hoping in this way, then one of the the implications of that is that now we'll live our lives in a purified way. If we will be like him and he is the righteous one and he is completely pure, then something that we should begin to see now and how we live our lives now should be a purified life. One to which we're seeking to purify ourselves. How do you do that? Only by continuing to go to Jesus. Only by continuing to abide in Him. Confessing our sins. What has John told us earlier in chapter 1? If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We must know our older brother. But look, look what else about this older brother. Look in verses 4 and 5. It says, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. So that's what's true of the other family relationship. But, John says in verse 5, you know that he appeared, our older brother, to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. The work that our older brother has done, the reason, one of the reasons he entered into this world is to take away sin. That's the work that he sought to do. And for his family, that is the work he has done. 
He has completely removed our sin from us and we are no longer guilty before the Father. If that is the work that our older brother has done, if he entered into this world to take away sin, then should not we live lives now that show that we don't want to have anything to, to, to do uh, with sin? That we don't want our lives now characterized by anything that our older brother came into this world to do away with? If he came into the world to do away with sin, let's not practice it anymore, John's saying. This is your family heritage. This is your relationship. This is what your older brother has done for you. Take advantage of that. Love that. Pursue the righteousness that he has secured for you. He, he goes on and explains it. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. John's saying, continue over and over again. This is who your older brother is. Live like him. Draw strength from him and who he is. Notice again in verse 8, another aspect of what our brother has done for us. In verse 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Our older brother, the one that the Father sent in love to redeem and rescue and secure our salvation. He came to, to do away with sin and he came to destroy the works of the devil. John is saying, if that is true, why? Why would you want to continue practicing a life that is accomplishing and doing the works of the evil one? Jesus came into this world to destroy them. His life-giving power is transforming you so that you will not accomplish and pursue those things anymore. Don't pursue the works of the evil one. Don't pursue the works and live as if you are a part of the family that you used to be a part of. You've been made new. You've not just only been brought into a new family, but you've been completely changed and healed from the inside. Live in light of the work that your brother has done for you. Um, I don't know if any of you have heard or, of the tennis player Arthur Ashe. Arthur Ashe was an African-American tennis player. He grew up in Richmond, Virginia. Um, in the, uh, he ended up getting a... He was an incredible tennis player. He got a, uh, a scholarship to play tennis in UCLA. A portion of what that scholarship was is that it was an ROTC scholarship, and so Arthur Ashe, in, uh, in addition to playing tennis, he was uh, he was uh, part of the army, and so after he got out, he had to give two years back to the to the army to in in, um, in response to the the scholarship he had. Well, this is the time when uh, Vietnam is is happening. Arthur Ashe is, is rising in the, the tennis ranks at the, at the time. He's, he's winning uh, tournaments. He's doing really well. Um, and Arthur's brother notices this, Johnny. Johnny's a Marine. Johnny's in the middle of doing a tour in Vietnam at the time. And he's watching Arthur play tennis on TV. And he realizes what he knows about his brother he says, I know that my brother's strong, but I know that war will destroy him. He doesn't have the temperament to do what is called to do in these places of war. And I know that 
that he will be able to accomplish a lot more if he's able to stay and do tennis. He will accomplish a lot more for himself, but also for, for our culture. And there was a, a rule in place at the time that two siblings could not be serving in the context of the place where war was going on at the, at the time. And so Johnny began to think about this, and he said, if, if I'm still deployed in wartime situation scenario, then that means that Arthur will not have to leave the U.S. to come and fight in Vietnam. So he went to his uh, commanding officer and he said, my, my tour is about to end. If I stay for another one, that will mean that my brother doesn't have to come. And all his commanding officer says is, you're a good Marine and we need men like you here. And so he stayed because Johnny stayed because the older brother stayed and gave himself to be in Vietnam. Arthur did not have to come because of what his older brother did. Arthur was able to stay in the U.S. And while he was there during the time where he would have been deployed and serving in Vietnam, he won the U.S. amateur title. He then went on and he won the U.S. Open. And went on later to be not only a great tennis player, but a, a great contributor to society in the U.S. What if Arthur would have responded to the sacrifice in the work that his older brother did to him, who said, I will go in your place. I will go somewhere so you don't have to, so that you can do what you've been made and are, been created to do. And Arthur said, forget it. Thanks, Johnny. Arthur gives up tennis. He goes and starts getting into, into trouble up in New York where he was stationed at the time. And he could have cared less. No. In light of seeing the sacrifice that his brother did for him, it gives a motive and a love and a response within Arthur to enable him to do what it is that he was created to do. What John is saying here is you have somebody better than Johnny, Ash, as your older brother. And you are not Arthur Ash. You did not have great potential. God was not like, ooh, you know what? You are so good and so righteous. You're so great at playing the game of humanity that I need you on my team. No. Your heavenly father and your older brother looked at you as a rebel and as a sinner, one who was wrapped up in embracing and loving sin and who was embracing and loving their father, the devil. And they said, I'm going to pursue you and I love you and I'm going to die for you and I'm going to give my life for you so that sin will be done away with and the works of the evil one will be done away with. How does that change us to know that our God would do that, that our older brother would do that? John is saying this should transform you. And if it doesn't, and if it hasn't, then you don't know the older brother. You don't know the father. Because this kind of love and this kind of work necessarily transforms. Maybe you're here this morning and you're, you're like, man... 
I don't know. I don't know if I know the Father. I don't know if I know the brother in this way that you're talking about. Because if I'm honest, the the way that I think about my sin and the things that I've seen God say and what His Word is saying, sometimes I really, I just don't care. Is there hope? Yeah, there is. Look to Jesus. Call out to your Heavenly Father. Call out to Him and say, have mercy upon me. Save me. Change me. Change my heart. I don't want this to be a characteristic of me. God answers those prayers to the one who calls out to Jesus in mercy. God changes you. His life-giving power comes into you and you will be transformed. That is the hope that we can have. If you're already here and you would acknowledge what John is saying of you, that you are a child of God now, and you recognize that. And what John would continue to call us to is to continue to be shaped and further transformed by the love of our father and the love of our older brother, that our heritage would have implications in our lives and that we would live out righteousness in this world with a hatred towards sin quick to repent and quick to live in a way that is reflective of the love and sacrifice that has been done for us. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we love You. That we can even pray that is amazing. We thank You for Your love for us. We thank You for sending our older brother Jesus, we thank You for for coming in our place to die and to suffer for us, to fight the battle for us. We love You. In Jesus' name, Amen.